Thank you for joining us for this week's 908 message. 908 is a contemporary, student-led ministry based out of Concordia St. Paul. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We hope you join us some Wednesday night and are blessed through the words of our speaker. So I want to start it with an exercise so everyone can get up and find a space um, to do a couple burpees to start out with. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I do want to start out with um, you guys doing something, though. So I want everyone to close their eyes and think of someone hypothetical who has depression or anxiety. Just imagine what comes to mind when you hear those words. And how does that person you're imagining talk act, how do they carry themselves? Now let's think of someone else. Scrap that first person. (laughs) Think of someone who has a nightmare and hallucination disorder. Someone who has developed PTSD because what they see in their head is so violent. Someone who doesn't sleep because they're conditioned not to. Because if they do get any rest, that's when the bad dreams come in. How do they carry themselves? What's their demeanor? How do they interact with people? Was that person who gets four hours of sleep at night, upbeat, enthusiastic, and full of energy? I would be willing to bet that that person you imagined didn't look like me. They say one in five adults have some form of mental illness, whether that's depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, whatever it is, one in five people around you have something going on most of the time you can't tell. Which is something I want to advocate for is destigmatizing mental illness, especially how we treat it within the church. There is a philosophy that faith can be forged through adversity, and I think my experience really exemplifies that. I was born with a couple mental illnesses, OCD and parasomnia. Now parasomnia is a nightmare disorder which causes vivid and terrifying dreams. And most of the time, I'm unable to tell that I'm dreaming until I wake up. It is that surreal, and I hardly ever sleep because of it. That's the trade-off. Now, OCD adds another layer of complication. It isn't just the perfectionist, germaphobe, Sheldon-like character that you see on TV. It's a lot more manipulative than that. It can obsess or fixate over anything. For example, some people become very ritualistic. Certain pathways in the brain just need to be fulfilled. Like, I just need to make my bed every morning. It just has to happen. I can't do anything until my bed is made in the morning. It just has to happen. But this sort of obsession doesn't need to be a physical attribute. Um, My OCD strongly fixates on my nightmares. So as much as I want to forget about everything that happens The night before, my brain is constantly reminding me and rerunning every single detail. And this has done so much that it started to pull the nightmares into the day, and I started to have them when I was awake. And I would see these nightmares as clearly as I would see you. As I got older, things only grew worse. I started to hear voices more and have more powerful hallucinations. And I would be murdered and tortured every way imaginable. And it wasn't just seeing and hearing, it was my sense of touch, too. I would feel the things as they would happen to me. And this caliber of violence started around the second grade. I remember hallucinating myself committing suicide in the second grade. 
completely against my wants or wishes. This is called egodystonic, having thoughts different from what you actually want. So growing up in, in Sunday school and being confirmed, um, I pray to God regularly to make it all stop, to give me some relief that it never happened. I, I prayed for hours not to have nightmares that I knew were waiting for me. And after years of this, I became convinced that God had abandoned me. And only in my darkest moments would I cry out to God, begging him, yelling at him to let up and to give me some relief, and it never came. And I grew very bitter and hostile towards God. In 10th grade, I was diagnosed with these mental illnesses as well as developing post-traumatic stress disorder simply from um, what I was seeing being so violent. And, and PTSD only causes more nightmares and hallucinations. And before I was diagnosed, um, I didn't really know what was going on, so I was convinced that I was just going insane. Um, and I held it all in. My, my parents didn't really understand at the time, so they didn't want me going to anyone else for help, so I was, I was on my own. And usually at this point of your life, if, if you feel totally on your own, that's when you turn to God, but he was the last person I wanted to talk to. Because I felt like I was just talking to a wall every time I prayed. With all of this in mind, you can imagine my reaction to hearing the phrase, a merciful and loving God. That phrase destroyed me every time I heard it. And all this bottled up rage and spite towards God dragged me down up until the summer, right before my senior year in high school. I went to a national youth gathering with my church down in New Orleans. I know a lot of people also went to that. Yeah. Um, and for a week, I listened to speakers and bands and, and people carrying around signs, all saying the same message, that God loves you. And I hated it. Not just because of my own experience, but because everyone else there seemed to believe it. Everyone else there seemed to be in a good enough place where they could proudly say, God loves me. And I became incredibly angry and incredibly envious. One of the last days, myself and uh, the guys in my church went to listen to the speaker. It was called Man Up, Becoming the Ultimate Man. Now the speaker started by defining unyielding and manly strength, that in order to be a man, you had to not be only physically strong, but, but mentally strong as well. And he talks about Joshua 1.9. And it reads, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I've forgotten up until that point that I had that verse on a plaque in my room. My pastors gave it to me for confirmation, but I literally just tossed it aside and didn't look at it since. The speaker went on to explain that in all the darkness and all the evil and all the hate in the world, God just calls us to be courageous and be the bigger man. Now there's a difference between fearless and courage. Fearlessness is simply not being phased by anything, not being afraid, but courage is being afraid and still moving forward. Courage is about being petrified and still forging ahead. So God calls us to be courageous because he knows we can't always be fearless. The speaker later then asked us to think of the most pain we'd ever been in. And I reflected a lot 
on my hallucinations, how much agony I've gone through, and how many nights I lay in bed helpless to the torture that was being administered to me, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And then he says that no one in the room had gone through what Jesus had to go through. Now, over the years of, of going to church, the fact that he died for our sins gets so watered down that we don't even think much anymore about how much pain he had to go through. And it hit me then that Jesus also prayed for hours on end to be relieved of his pain and fear, not to go through what he knew was waiting for him because he knew exactly what he was in for. And he wept as he begged God for the pain to pass. Yet in the end, he was courageous enough to go through it all willingly. Of all the pain that I felt for no reason at all, Jesus went through exponentially more for me. He manned up and took on all the pain that someone could possibly endure for the sole purpose of saving me and saving you. He was tortured so brutally, more so than anyone else that had been crucified in those times. And he died the most excruciatingly painful way. But thank God that isn't the end of the story. It doesn't stop with his death. The Bible doesn't say, and then he died, the end. No, Jesus descends into hell, still has the strength to beat up Satan for three days straight, and then he comes back from the dead. And now at this point, after realizing all this, I, I began to break down. I started bawling in an auditorium of, of all men. There was just me in the center crying my eyes out. And I'm sure the second half of the speech was just as good as the first half, but I didn't hear any of it because I was too busy just crying. So after he was done giving his presentation, I walked up to the man on stage. He was still taking off his mics and stuff, and I just gave him a hug. And I couldn't find the words to explain to him my actions, but I'm sure that he knew that what he had said just changed my life. Now, later that night, and not coincidentally, um, another speaker preached about being a light in the darkness, that a light can only shine its brightest when it's in pitch black. It became so obvious that this was the message God needed me to hear. No longer did I believe that I needed to survive as a product of my environment, but instead a light among the darkness, a light to rid the evil, not allowing myself to be consumed by it. Because a light in the dark can be seen as a beacon for others who are in the dark as well. Now, I still hallucinate, have nightmares, and I'm at peace with the fact that those won't go away. So I still go through a lot of darkness, but what has changed is how I perceive God in all of this. I used to think that God just cursed me and then said, good luck, kid. Um, but, but now I know that like, through... I inherited sin in the world that caused my mental issues. God looked at me and my brokenness and said, I can work with that. I can make something out of that. I have no doubt that he used these mental illnesses as a necessary evil to make me who I am now. Faith, as I have come to know, is like a muscle. The tearing and breaking only makes it stronger. So without the years of pain and hurting, I would not be where I am now. In fact, I would be worse off mentally, morally, and spiritually. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Moreover, faith has been described by Luther as a living and unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. Unshakable. It means no matter what you go through, no matter how long you've been wrestling with demons, with the world, or with God, your faith does not falter. Your faith grows stronger during these times of struggle. Now, unfortunately, not everyone within the church stands by this philosophy. I was told by the campus ministry at UMD, where I transferred from, that my struggle was unchristian-like. That I didn't uphold their ideals because I have persisting mental issues. They told me that God doesn't allow people to struggle in this way. Outside of my experience, there are, are claims that getting help from a counselor or taking antidepressants or seeking help in general is a sign of lacks of faith. And people who, who do these lack faith. That if someone was truly faithful, that all their ailments would be cured. That's what people within the Christian church say. That the opposite of that is true. Seeking help isn't a lack of faith. It is, as a pastor of mine described, an act of faith. Trusting in another human being opening yourself up and having the humility to say, I need help, are all acts of faith. So a couple notes to leave off on. One is talk to someone. If you're struggling with anything, it is easy to feel alone and abandoned. But since I started opening up and telling my story, I have met so many people with similar walks as mine, and it has helped me exponentially to know that there are other people out there that have gone through the same thing and that I'm not alone. Second is be available to listen. Maybe you don't have a clue what it's like to experience what someone else is going through, but be there for them. Tell them I hear you and help me try to understand. Just be there for someone who needs it and don't suppress someone from getting help simply because you don't understand it. And lastly, by what I live on, Joshua 1.9, be courageous. Be bold. There are a lot of things in this world that can scare you, but none of them are meant to hold dominion over you. It's scary to confront people, to open up to new situations, to proclaim your faith knowing that you may be persecuted. But have some mastery over that fear, whatever it is. Because God is always bigger than what you're most afraid of. And being broken down isn't the end. It is the first step getting stronger in faith.
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Go in peace.